The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. So um, I want to invite you all into a very low-stakes conflict situation uh, uh, simulation, rather, where you're, you're going to get a chance to choose your own adventure for how you'd respond to this situation. All right? Everybody ready to raise a hand? So let's say it is Friday afternoon at the office. But not this office, unfortunately. More like this office, yeah. Cold, dark, windowless, soulless place. Nothing like any of your workplaces, I'm sure. Nothing like mine, thank God, that's true. And you have been there all week. You have just gotten out of a meeting that was three hours long that could have been an email. (laughs) Yep, three hours. And you walk into the office break room, tired and cranky and hungry, and you see a beautiful single cupcake. Only one. And there are seven people behind you coming out of the same meeting. You got there first. But maybe your office crush is there, maybe your office best friend, maybe that person who talks on their cell phone all the time for no reason who you really don't like is coming, your boss who, after the way that meeting went, you could stand to win some points with. It's a lot of competing priorities here. One cupcake. So be honest. How many of you take the cupcake and run? (laughs) Thank you for your honesty. Do you? Yes. How many of you take maybe the exact opposite approach and make a beeline far away from the situation, not wanting to deal with it? Ah, a lot of you. Interesting. Who tries to cut the cupcake into six or seven pieces? Our compromisers. No one's happy and everyone's happy at the same time. Great. Is there anybody I didn't get? Anybody who has another solution? Yeah, June. Oh, okay. A, a targeted compromise situation. Anything else that we didn't think about? Any other ways to deal? Well, there's a lot now. Okay, yeah. Give it to your boss. <laughs> Nobody's happy. Throw it in the trash. I saw one more in the back. What was the one more in the back? Yeah. Sorry, say that one more time. Oh, to not go into the break room at all after the meeting. So pre-avoidance, you didn't even know this situation was happening. That's deep. That's deep. Rodney? In case you didn't hear, Rodney Rodney just outlined, uh, as he labeled it, a passive-aggressive response, which would be like, nobody wants this cupcake. Yeah. Get more! Get more. You could go out to the store and get more cupcakes. So there's lots of different approaches that each of us might take to the same exact situation, right? Same people involved, same relationships. I put you all in the same part of this story with the same constellation around you, the same workplace situation, the same choice. And we all made different choices. And this isn't about which choice is right or wrong in this moment. It's more like an invitation, maybe. Think about whether the way you handled that conflict might be the way you handle most conflicts in your life. 
often the ways that we respond to any given person or situation in our lives has a lot more to do with our own habits, our own patterns, than it does with the situation around us. We're all pretty different. We all have our own habits and patterns that make us who we are, for better or for worse. Our message series that I'm kicking off this morning that Reverend Ken and I will be preaching for the next few weeks leading up to the Easter holiday is called The World Between Us. I am pretty excited about this message series because I'm kind of a recent convert to the idea that the world between us is a cool and exciting place. You know, we think about closeness and connection in our lives and we often think about sameness. We think about the things that we want to find that we have in common with each other. But when we leave some distance and some space between people, when we allow for those differences to emerge, sometimes that's actually a lot more interesting and exciting and new things show up that we never thought were possible. So there is a whole world between each of us, right? Between me and you, between you and anyone else in this room, there is an entire universe of experiences that you've had. There are all of the habits that you've developed over time. There are all the preferences you carry that might be subtly different from other people in your lives or very different from other people in your lives. There are all the relationships that you've had that have formed you, the lessons that you've learned from the times that you've made mistakes in your life, the norms that you've accepted because they're what you're used to. They're what you've seen around you for a long time. And in the world between us, Sometimes those differences show up, especially when we encounter someone who has a different way of being or doing something, right? That's usually when it pops up right in front of your face. You get to see your own habits and preferences very clearly. Parents, I know some of you have kids in college or had or are about to have kids in college. This, by the way, is how they will try to sell you on study abroad. And they're not wrong. Just think about carefully whether you want to spend the money. But they're not wrong. When you go to a different context... Suddenly, things that have been normal for you your whole life, you see that they're a choice. They're not necessarily the way that things have to be. I had the good fortune when I was in college of having scholarship money that helped me go to Sweden for a semester. Sweden is a fascinating place. They do things almost 180 degrees differently than Americans do, but they feel the same kind of pride and sense that it is the absolute right way for things to be done. And I remember going to Sweden, learning a lot, noticing a lot of things about myself that I took for granted when I was here. But the crystallized moment for me was actually when I flew back from Stockholm, Orlando International Airport, to Newark, New Jersey. And five minutes after I got off the plane, I turned to my friend and I was like, why is everyone so loud? (laughs) They're all talking so loudly. It took me a while to get back to my normal way of loud talking. So this world between us shows up in lots of different ways. And it can even show up in our closest relationships. One of my very good friends who I've known for a long time, he and I were talking recently about his marriage. He and his wife got married pretty young by today's standards. They were about 22, 23 years old. And so they have been married now for 10 years. And after a few years in their marriage, they started to have some trouble. They got together because they had a lot in common. They're both artists. They're both creative people. They were both interested in creating a life that was a little different than your typical office nine to five. They wanted to stay in the city. 
They wanted to do their creative pursuits and not have to live off a lot of money to make a good life. So they had this really clear path that they were both interested in setting out on. But after a few years together, they started running into some friction. And my friend said, we went to this marriage counselor who started talking to us about how we did things in our relationship and why. And he said, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I looked at my wife for the first time in those counseling sessions and went, oh, you're a different person than I am. (laughs) Yes, we have a lot in common, but you have your own way of seeing the world. And when you do things that are not done the way I want to see them done, it's not because you're actually trying to drive me insane. (laughs) It's because you actually see the world differently, even though we love each other and have shared so much of our life together and have so many of the same values. He said it it did sound silly, even to him at the time, but it was really a revelation for him that really transformed how he looked at their relationship. Being able to allow a difference without placing a judgment on it, without assuming bad intentions, without assuming that he or she was right in any given situation. He said, I looked at her for the first time that day, realizing I didn't actually know her that well. And he said that was scary at first. But then he realized how exciting it was. He's got, you know, God willing, 40, 50 more years with this woman, and there's still a lot that he can get to know about her. She is not a written and closed book. When we notice differences between us, it can be very unsettling because we often assume that a conflict between us has to lead to conflict. And conflict is a word that we have a lot of layers built up around, that we often assume looks a particular way because of what conflict was maybe in our household growing up or in the environment around us. We can assume that conflict has to mean voices raised or hurt and hurtful words. We can assume that conflict has to mean violence, fistfights, or maybe icy, cold standoffs. But conflict is actually just a difference. The way we respond to conflict, what we do when there is a conflict, that space is full of choices. It's full of some choices that are destructive, and it's also full of choices that, like my friend and his wife discovered, can open up whole new exciting possibilities for all of us. Sometimes the presence of differences between us actually improves things, right? We get to learn and grow from each other. Sometimes it's a path to a very real and healthy intimacy and connection, where both of us get to leave our own private worlds and find some new place in the middle that we get to inhabit together. You may have seen online this, uh, this meme or this image shared. It gets shared a lot. This is a play on the kind of typical Venn diagram, right, where it shows two areas of overlap. There's no overlap in this one. The small bubble says your comfort zone, and the big bubble over here says where the magic happens. Pretty clear message, right? Get outside your comfort zone. See what new possibilities are there. It's the same idea as is expressed in a poem that also gets shared and quoted online a lot. It's a poem by the 13th century Islamic scholar and poet Jalaluddin Rumi. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I will meet you there. 
out beyond ideas of right and wrong. There is a place, there is a field, and I'll meet you there. Rumi is one of those poets who gets quoted out of context a lot. It's interesting that the most powerful words in our world sometimes, right, the Bible, scripture, poetry like Rumi from the greats, we pull out a little piece. I think powerful words, they, they ask us to do that in a way. They invite us to do that in a way because they're so good. They're so powerful. We can all see ourselves in them, right? We can all find our own place in these words and make it kind of about us. But Rumi came from a place. He was a real man. He was a man with history and a life and a background. He lived in Kanya, which is a town in modern-day Turkey. Historians believe that he was a hafiz, which is the word for a person who has memorized the entire Quran. Yeah, I can't even memorize times tables. The entire (laughs) Quran, the entire Islamic scripture. They believe that in part because of the facility with which he incorporated the Islamic scriptures into his poetry. He would call on these different references from that scripture, that holy book, to create meaning for the people he was writing to. But a lot of the translations that we read of Rumi take away some of that context. This is actually not really a translation. This thing that gets shared that's so popular is an interpretation of the poem by the American poet Coleman Barks. Coleman Barks is one of these poets. If you've actually seen, um, I have it on my shelf, a great book of poetry called The Gift um, by Daniel Ladinsky. He's the interpreter for that set of poetry. It's a pretty common practice fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, for poets who don't speak the original language. Coleman Barks doesn't speak Persian. He took literal translations of the poetry from Persian, and he reinterpreted them so that they sound like poetry to an English-speaking audience. And so the words themselves are not precisely the same, but then in this recrafting of the poem, the American listener, the English-speaking listener, gets to hear some of that original poetic intent in the poetry. When you read most Rumi quotes online, just be aware, you're probably reading a mashup of Rumi and somebody else, often Coleman Barks. So this poem, I found, there was an article in the New Yorker in January about these dynamics of poetry, old Islamic poetry, usually from this era in, um, in, in this area of the world. And It talked about how in this poem specifically, the original Persian words were not the words for right and wrong. Powerful. Big difference, right? Not the words for right and wrong. The author said that the Persian words that Rumi used translated most closely as religion and infidelity. Very different. Religion, and in this context, they believe infidelity to religion. So religion and unfaithfulness, or religion and heresy or sin. So how does the poem sound then? Out beyond our ideas of religion and infidelity or unfaithfulness or heresy, there is a field. I'll meet you there. That changes things, huh? There's a lot of baggage that words like right and wrong carry for us. There's a lot of hurt that we might carry. There's a lot of different ways we can find ourselves in a poem about right and wrong. I see why, as a poet, that would be a powerful choice to make for your reader. 
But when you learn about the original context and why this poem was written, you see that what he's really pointing at here is difference. He's talking about differences in belief, differences in piety, religious practice. The author of that New Yorker article says, imagine the impact on today's reader then of a Muslim scholar saying to us that the basis of faith lies not in religious code, but in an elevated space of compassion and love. A field. Now, Unitarian Universalists are pretty on board when it comes to religious differences and affirming that that's okay, right? I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here today. We are a tradition that believes that truth and spiritual um, Spiritual wisdom can be found in all different kinds of religious traditions and also in literature and poetry and our daily experiences. But we are not always so open to the world that lies between us when it comes to other kinds of differences, maybe political differences. As human beings, we are not always so open to the world between us when it comes to differences in our experiences and how they've shaped us. In our relationships with each other, we're not always so open to the world between us when it comes to differences of the heart, differences in what we hope and long for. I know that when I have a powerful difference with someone, even though I'm a minister and a very spiritual person, (laughs) I usually want things to go my way. That's what it means, right? To have a preference, to have a habit, to have a difference with someone. I want to be right. I want to win. If I'm feeling particularly kind that day, I'm shooting for a win-win, right? (laughs) Multiple cupcake situation, of course. But I want my cupcake. I want the thing that I'm carrying into the situation. And it takes a lot of grounding, And a lot of trust in something greater than myself to really let that go. It doesn't happen every day. To really open my hands and my ears and my mind and my heart to a difference. Because really opening to it means accepting that it might change me. It might actually change my understanding of what a win looks like. And that is exciting and scary. The second part of Rumi's short poem doesn't get quoted as much. It says, when the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. When the soul lies down in that grass, in that field, the world is too full to talk about. The idea of submission or surrender It makes sense that it shows up in Rumi's poetry because it's core to his faith. The word Islam literally means submission or surrender in Arabic. The religion itself is named for the intentional practice of surrender to something greater. It comes from the same root word, by the way, as salam, the word for peace. There might actually be a power and a peace to be found in submitting to the world between us. Not in giving ourselves over entirely, not in losing who we are, but perhaps in mutually submitting. 
giving up some of our power and self-protection to meet in a new and neutral territory. Maybe then the world would be too full to talk about. Maybe then we would connect and open up to a peace that we could not have anticipated on our own. There's an organization that was founded about 30 years ago called Seeds of Peace. And they have offices in New York and they work with people all over the country and all over the world. But one of their key programs is that they run a camp in rural Maine. They started this camp bringing together youth from Israel and Palestine, teenagers and young adults, to come together and get to know each other in neutral territory. Maine is pretty neutral territory. And not only did they do that, but when they built this camp, they actually painted this on a barn. This is the field. (laughs) Knowing that many of these kids would know that poem, this is the field right here. Naming it is a powerful move. If you name it and people trust it, that's actually all it takes. That's all neutral territory is. When they bring kids to this camp, by the way, they don't hand them a binder with the solution to the Israel-Palestine conflict. They don't give them the answers. They don't have the answers. They've started inviting kids and young people to come to this camp from all different kinds of conflict-ridden and war-torn parts of the world. They've started inviting kids from L.A. and Detroit and New York City, from different neighborhoods, all different kinds of conflict. And they don't have any answers for any of them. What they give them are practices of listening. They continue to try different things with these young people. They continue to make space for each of them to know that they'll have a time to speak and be listened to. And for each of them to know that they'll have a time to shut up and listen to someone else. And as they begin to trust that, they all start to be changed by the experience. Throughout the rest of this message series, Reverend Ken and I are going to share practices with all of you. We hope that you will try them. Some of them will be here on Sunday morning, practices of listening that we can do right now, and some of them will be things that you can take home with you and try in any different kind of situation where you might feel that it would be helpful. Finding ways to listen to the world around you that might create a field. That might name that space. And so today, I don't have a practice for you. I just want to ask you to start asking yourself some questions. Where in my life is there a powerful difference between me and someone else? Where in my life is there a powerful difference between me and someone else that I might like to explore? And where... That difference lives without having to fix it, without having to find the binder full of solutions. A simple question, how might I make that longing known? That longing to explore that difference. Not even asking you to do it, not even asking you to talk to someone, just to think and consider for yourself, how might I make that longing known? In times of difference and conflict, these are the practices of peacemaking. And they take time, and our world really needs them. 
has always needed them and really needs them right now. May we all find the ways that are unique to us that speak in our lives to make peace and maybe to make some magic happen. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of the unexpected. God of all of the ways that our plans get foiled. God of frustration. God who we hope we can trust is still there in those moments. Still holding those places where things did not turn out as we expected where a difference exists that we're not sure how to move past or move through or move with. Help us all to remember that each of us hopefully feels those moments of love and pure acceptance in our lives and that that means so does everyone else. Because if that is the kind of God we believe in, then we believe it is here for everyone. Here for the ones who are very different from us. And if there is a God that can hold all of that space, that maybe we can inhabit some of that space as well. For these prayers that I've spoken out loud and for the prayers that each one of these people carries on their hearts, we say amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.